welcome back. It is 2022, uh, and this is JJ and Dan coming to you live from the Buffalo Bread Studio. And at this moment, if you came to this link or this this listen uh, by way of one of my you know ubiquitous social media posts, you might be like, "No, hang on a second. I I got this off of the Keeping the Receipts Twitter po- you know pod feed." Um, yeah, we're changing it up. So, uh, Dan, you know. My opinion of this is that we can't keep the receipts anymore now that the Buffalo Bills are the preseason favorite in Vegas to win the Super Bowl. Nobody is is sleeping on this team. Nobody has like looked over them as a contender. Um, there's no more receipts to keep. We will keep some receipts, I'm sure. But as a overarching title of our, our pod, I think we need to change it up and rebrand. And, you know, um, you either win or you learn, right? I agree. How are you feeling? I feel, I feel good about the season. I feel good about the rebrand. You know, when we started this pod, it really was about uh, grievance letting, right? Like, no, we saw what Bean was doing. We knew what McDermott could do. Uh, we became, of course, later adopters, as many people did, of Josh Allen. But we saw where the organization was going. And we just thought it was an organizational build that wasn't getting the respect that it deserved, hence keeping the receipts. Now, the Buffalo Bills, in our lifespan, have become the model on how to build an NFL organization. There is something to the Buffalo brand. There's something that's important about doing things the Buffalo way that's circulating around the league. So given that great change of tide, it really did feel like a good time to rebrand the pod and focus on what the league and fans are focusing on too, which is figuring out how you can get a little bit of Buffalo bread in your organization and your life as well. So happy to be potting, happy about the brand change, and most importantly, JJ, I am happy that we are very, very close to meaningful NFL football again. Oh, my God. It's been, you know, I mean, it's not been, okay, it's been a long time. But um, it has been, like, years. It's It feels like it's been decades, right? Like, since that 13-second finale against the oh, Chiefs God. in the divisional round, it feels like eons have passed. Like, you know, whole universes have come and gone in the time it's been it's been since we saw Josh Allen throw a pass that mattered. And so um, I'm excited to be back. I think that, you know, we're looking forward to kind of growing the the brand, the the pod, the, the listenership. And uh, this is going to be a really exciting season in so many ways. And I just hope you all come along with this uh, on this ride with us. Absolutely. How do you want to get um, started, sir? I, I want to start, I want to jump right in and talk about camp, right? So we have not had a chance really to talk about free agency or the draft, but I actually think starting with camp will give us an opportunity to do that because there's a lot of new faces that have been added to the organization via the draft and free agency. And a lot of folks are starting to stand out here as uh, the Buffalo Bills move their operations from St. John Fisher University in, Pitts- in Pittsburgh, New York, back to Highmark Stadium. So, JJ, just looking at some of the new faces in camp, of course, we have our, our highly touted draft picks, Kair Elam, who I think is going to feature greatly in this pod as we talk about what to look forward to in this season. James Cook has been another standout in camp. Greg Rousseau has started to pop here in his second year as well, which it every Buffalo Bills fans should want to see. And a lot of that probably has to do with the veteran presence of the Buffalo Bills, you could argue, largest free agency signing in the last decade in Von Miller. So, JJ, as we take a look at as Buffalo Bills here are making their way from Fisher to Highmark, what are some things in camp that stood out to you this offseason? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're about to close camp, and I, I think that it's it's one thing that's that I just have to bring up is Josh Allen, doing Josh Allen things. I think even last year 
coming off of the like the weird COVID season in 20, we were like, okay, wow, that was really amazing. But it was it because their stadiums were empty and he could focus. What was what was the cause that he made such a momentous leap? And then in 21, you're like, holy crap, no, this guy is the deal. He is legit. And so this year is the first one where I truly actually feel like the Buffalo Bills have a top three, top five quarterback, franchise quarterback holding it down. He's on a long-term contract. It's just like this is the first time as a Bills fan in my entire adult life since Jim Kelly retired that I've been like, no, we we totally have the guy. There's no questions anymore that the year dude. over year. Yeah, he's, we he's got gonna... the dude. And we've talked about this on the pod, you know, so many times, like, oh, my gosh, aren't you glad we have Josh Allen? Of course we are. This I, I true I'm sharing with you. This is the first time I'm like, holy moly, it, it's the guy in his whole career, as long as everything goes well, and you know, and he stays healthy. It, it's going to be amazing seasons, right? Like, and he's going to probably have up and down years, but it's always going to be that top 15 performer in the league that we've been desperately waiting for forever and ever since the 90s. Um, so that, that's one I'll say two is, um, again, a belief in Brandon Bean, uh, Brandon Bean has done amazing things. We both love Bean. We're, we're both big baller Bean fans here. Um, but he just continues to do, you know, what a good GM does, which he doesn't make crazy overpaying giant splash free agency purchases like Von Miller for $120 million. Oh wait, no, he does do that. But he does it, he structures it in a smart way where we can actually kind of get out from under the albatrosses of that contract after year three. Um, and so he does he does those things and he addresses the problems. He looks at something and says, Okay, um, Josh Allen's rookie year, the offensive line was in complete, complete chaos. They didn't have anything to stand on. And he, you know, brings in Mitch Morris. He he bring he completely rebuilds it from the ground up to be an amazing, you know, unit. Um, and he's still working on it. He's still tinkering because it hasn't gotten there yet. And so the fact that he never rests on laurels, that he's always rebuilding individual rooms as he goes, um, it is clear. Uh, we mentioned, you know, the, the Kansas City game at the end of the playoffs. Um, they didn't get out of that game with a win because they couldn't bring Patrick Mahomes down. So he massively addresses the pass rush, not only in the draft last year with two defensive ends in the first two picks, but then with Von Miller. And then giving uh, Ed Oliver some more help in the middle to keep the linebackers clean. Like he he's trying to build a finishing front front four, front six, front seven, and that I think is is another thing. It's testament to Brandon Bean making smart choices with contracts, with draft picks, um, trades. He's he's always been good at, at managing and manufacturing a, a smart and a developed roster. This is the best roster um, we've seen as Bills fans since the Super Bowl era. And, uh, you know, depending on how they finish out the season, it could be the best of the entire franchise. I agree. I was looking at, because, you know, I'm a degenerate and I, I like to gamble on football. I'm already looking at props. And, of course, one of the, the most favorite props for a lot of guys like me to bet on is 17-0, and 0, right? So as of a few days ago, there was about 50% of the bets in the league were on the field for some team other than the Buffalo Bills to go 17-0. and 0. The other 50% of the money on the Buffalo Bills to finish undefeated. It is the highest percentage. The, the Kansas City Chiefs didn't even finish with that high a percentage after their Super Bowl winning season. So there is something a-brewing about the optimism, not just amongst the Buffalo Bills, Bills Mafia fan base, 
but nationally as well. People are starting to recognize, I think what you recognize is that, is that this is a deep and talented team in a lot of the areas where you need to be those two things. And it's a team that as a result of its recent success, but also recent failures, feels poised to finally b- break through. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to utter the S word yet. That's Super Bowl. I don't want to talk about that yet because I'm sure we'll get to predictions at some point. But there is reason to be really optimistic heading into this season for a lot of the reasons you talked about, and that's something that I'm seeing in camp too. Now, listen. It, full disclosure: camp is camp, right? It's they're not they're not uber competitive games. It's a lot of guys kicking off the rust. There are certain position groups just based on the way the ebb and the flow of the off season that are ahead of other position groups. So you would be you would be wise not to read too much into it. If you remember back a year ago today and we saw Josh Allen flinging the ball around the field, you know, you would have thought week one against Pittsburgh last season they would have hung 40, and that's how they lost that game, right? So camp is only so much of an indicator. But based on some of the data and some of what our eyeballs are telling us, it, the Buffalo Bills have made a lot of really sound moves. And this is something that's been the most impressive piece I think of the big baller bean era is that he he misses small, if that makes any kind of sense, with mm-hmm. the with the personnel moves that he makes. Um, the defensive line and the offensive line have been a, a malleable work in progress through the draft and free agency, and are probably the two areas that that he you could argue has failed the most, failed by his standards. We're talking bean relative to bean here, right? Um, but he misses small in a lot of those areas. And when you see how this offensive line is coming together in camp, when you see guys like Greg Rousseau in their second season start to pop, which I think is really important for him, not just because of the production it can do on the field, um, but also when you look across the way and across the uh, across the division of Miami, and you see um, Jalen Phillips, who was Rousseau's teammate at the University of Miami, have a very quiet eight sack season as a rookie last season. As a Bills fan, you got to begin to wonder if we we took the wrong hurricane. But watching Rousseau pop in camp thus far with the presence of Von Miller it really does give you hope that the bills can finally add that finishing element to their defense that they have seemed to lack over the past few seasons and that's mind-blowing to say because in stati- from a lot of statistical measures this was the number one defense in the league last year and they could not bring down the quarterback at all if they can add not just a pass rush but finishing at the qb and getting home um, dude, this could be a defense for this could be this could be a defense for the ages. We're talking Baltimore Ravens, Denver Broncos style stuff. So so lots of reasons to be excited. And I think JJ, I think that's a good segue to talk about what excites us the most this offseason. So this segment was your idea. I'm going to let you lead into it. So I picked defensive things as the things that excited me the most. You went with offense since yep. uh, offense is now where Buffalo leads. <laughs> Let's start with that. Yeah. What are the three things on offense you're most excited to see? just aside and i'm sorry for anyone listening but like i i'm, I'm just gushing right now like how the bills have a team that leads with offense what like i remember <laughs> years and years and years and years of being like well at least we got a good defense maybe we can make something happen on special teams maybe we'll get turnovers <laughs> enough that the field goals will win it for us anyway brian mormon um, yeah, team mvp right? like yes. seven years running right <laughs> it's crazy so um but yes the, the bills have an offense they have a great offense and I'm really, you know, I'm curious about how things are going to go um, with the changeover. But the things I'm most excited about, um, James Cooks, for all intents and purposes in camp, he's looked super, super fast. He looks like he's picking the game up. 
and the uh, the complex offensive scheme really well. It's help. It helps that you know his brother is Dalvin Cook and um, has some experience in the league. Um, and so you know, I think that's a, a X factor that Bills have not had out of the backfield for a long time. Um, there was somebody I, I forget who it was. It might have been Sal Capaccio or Matt Perino, one of the the regulars covering the Bills from the media side of, of things, described um, James Cooks as someone who can replace. Uh, Josh Allen being his own check down. And that I think is that that's the wrinkle that I'm so excited about is somebody who can kind of leak out and no longer is it on Josh when everything is covered up downfield to make something happen with his legs. He has somebody who's, who can uncover quickly under in the underneath area and actually make something happen after the catch because they have explosive speed and kind of that natural feel for where the people are around them. I'm excited to see what James Cook can do in this offense for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I, um, as we tend to do on this pod, you and I often agree when we were doing this pre-show and we were just, we didn't have it, have it split up between offense and defense. You were like, all right, man, just so we plan, what's your number one thing you're most excited about from camp? I'm like, James <laughs> Cook. It's like, you son of a bitch. So am I. <laughs> so same one. Right? It's same one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so for those, you, yeah. for, the, for those of you listening, it's not just that JJ and I agree. We oft share the same mind and just don't yes. know it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I'm excited for Cook too. I mean, Alan it, is a physical freak as was, you know, Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger early in his career had this physicality to his game. And we have seen how those careers trailed as they absorbed more and more hits, right? So it's awesome to marvel at what Allen is now in the running game, but the addition of James Cook, I think is not just efficacy on down to down and drive to drive. He is as good of an insurance policy as you can have on keeping Josh Allen healthy for the length of this very lengthy contract that he has signed with the Buffalo Bills. So I'm excited to see the Buffalo Bills improve in that way. And and Cook, I mean, I know he's a rookie, but you said it. He is polished. He is clean with his catching mechanics. His route running out of the backfield is crisp. He's a plus, I would say, blocker out of the backfield, which I was not expecting either at this point, um, this early on in camp. Um, and he's got a he's got a burst, right? He's got burst and good long speed. I think this is a dude who I am really looking forward to see what he's going to do. Now, he's going to manage snaps, I think, with Singletary uh, for the first part of the season. But I, we Singletary is a known quantity for us. I wouldn't be surprised if by week six or maybe heading out of the bye week, this year the Buffalo Bills bye week is week seven, I want to say. I wouldn't be surprised if heading out of the bye week, uh, we actually see Cook take a, a lion's share of the starting role from Singletary if this dude pans out the way we think. And, you know, we were mourning. We weren't potting, but we were mourning missing on J.D. McKissick, the potential free agent signing coming out of D.C. I actually think that's the Buffalo Bill. This is a blessing in disguise for Buffalo because they got someone younger with the same skill set who has a potentially a higher ceiling to do big things in that Bill's offense. So I'm with you, man. Number one, James Cook. What's your number two on offense that you're seeing? Um, number two for me is uh, is Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis taking a step forward, and I'm excited and hopeful. I think that's the other piece of that is, um, as we've seen in camp so far, Isaiah McKenzie has been the um, absolute you know locked in number one slot option in the offense when they come out with three wide receivers every snap with the first team. We didn't expect that. I think we you know everybody was sort of like, okay, they got Tavon Austin, they have Jamison Crowder, some of the additional you know free agent pickups. 
Um, but Isaiah has had that spot locked down. And I think that, you know, even Ken Dorsey has said, we have a guy on the roster for run after catch. His name's Isaiah McKenzie. And so I think that there's a chance that he comes in and especially with the kind of new offensive coordinator gets a bigger role in, in that sort of, of way. And he's looked very good. He's been catching reliably. He's been doing everything he needs to do, you know, from the slot to, to lock that position down and clearly has learned some things from Cole Beasley's time there and has gained the rapport with Josh Allen that he needs. Um, and then Gabe Davis, you know, I think he, he ultimately, you know, the, the tweets and things were saying he put on like 18 pounds of muscle, which is not true. It's completely ridiculous. Somebody could do that in five months. Um, but it, it is about five pounds and he does, he looks still smooth, still fast and quick and twitchy when he needs to be. Um, but just much more sturdier and much more, you know, body control at the catch point, which has never been a problem for him because he's the sideline commando. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about those two taking a step forward. I really hope they do because that's going to be critical to the Buffalo bills and the offensive attack remaining in the top five in the league. I agree. And I'm, I share the, I share the excitement over McKenzie as well. You know, the loss of Cole Beasley was, I think one that was inevitable, but not because he didn't necessarily still bring a little bit of value to the team. You just saw towards the end of his tenure with us, he had kind of lost a step in a lot of ways. Um, and Beasley was more of a prototypical slot that you would see in the league six, seven years ago. The advent of the modern usage of slot guys, using them in motion, using them in these deceptive patterns and route routes and, and route trees and things like that. It, McKenzie fits the bill, at least based on what we've seen in camp and the, the few times he's been featured in the offense for the Bills over the past couple of years. He fits the bill of more of a modern slot. There's, I think, a surprising level of old-school efficacy to his slot game. And again, I, I agree. I think we credit Beasley with, uh, with a lot of that and, his, and Beasley's presence on the team and McKenzie being able to observe and learn from that. But there's also a nice change-of-pace element to McKenzie's game that, that Beasley Sleepy couldn't bring, right? Um, I mean, I would argue that McKenzie is probably the number three option on that depth chart. Um, very easily not a not a not never going to be an outside guy but I also don't see him and Crowder battling for equal snaps I think McKenzie wins that battle heading out of camp um, we'll get the lion share of the slot snaps and then how nice is it to say that Jamison Crowder is going to be our our fourth option or backup slot guy right so yeah I agree with you on that I'll save my Davis comments for mine because I'm with you and I'm with the rest of the yeah. world I think Davis has a chance to pop I also have I have some concerns there. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, and the third thing I'm, I'm most excited about this this season on offense is just J Josh Allen again. You know, I think that I, I let in with a little bit of he's definitely that guy. We know he's that guy. He's shown consistency now. And I'm excited to see what an angry Josh Allen does to the league because you know how completely heartbroken he was that he laid it on the line through four touchdowns to Gabe Davis and still couldn't get them out of that game. And so – and we even said, I mean, we said this last year before the Steelers game. We're like, he's going to come out and, you know, like you said, hang 40 on them. He didn't. I think he learned a very important lesson from that, which is you, you know, I think the whole team learned a lesson, which is you can't come out and just, there, nobody's going to hand you games in the NFL. You have to work every week for them. And I don't think they ever lacked in hard work, but I think they lacked in mindset because they, they little, a little bit were a team that expected things to go well. Um, and that's not the case. I mean, they were what five and one in 2020, uh, in one score games. And then in 2021, they were zero and six. So yep. 
they, Absolutely. you know, they, they learned that everything's going to go their way. And then when it, and then it very, very clearly did not at all. And, and so and all, all of that is about, I mean, listen, some of it's luck, right? Yeah. But some of that too is mentality and execution and everything that you're speaking to speaks to those two elements. Absolutely. And so that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's the third thing I'm most excited about this year on offense is Josh Allen taking yet another step in maturity, taking yet another step in leadership. And really, it's going to be his time to shine because up to this point, sort of like the Brady Belichick stuff, right? Like, who's the, who's the real mastermind here? Dable's gone. So it's the question is going to fall squarely on Josh Allen is, yeah, he has Ken Dorsey, who he's known for years, but can he be the QB1 who is impervious to a, to a change in, in his OC? Like, that, mm-hmm. the best quarterbacks, doesn't matter who their OC is because they're running the offense. Yeah, no, it's it, Josh Allen is always something to be excited about. On a scale of one to ten, how stoked were you to see Allen come out with a red helmet? Just tell me. Seventeen. That was a seventeen. <laughs> exactly. Dude, um, perfect. I didn't answer. like the red helmet all the way because I think it was missing the white stripe over the top. Oh, you know, yes. it was like two blue stripes on either side of a red stripe on the top. I didn't. That's not. It's too modern for me. I need that big bold white stripe down the center to, to we, really but yeah i mean it, it's tight it's so tight it, it's so awesome right um and i've just i've loved watching listening to all the fan reaction on social media and other buffalo bills pods we, we dude we need those red helmets i, I just want to i want to throw it out there and i could be accused of of bringing bad karma into this conversation but if the buffalo bills do make it to the final game of the season i'm still not ready to use the s word yet if they make it to the <laughs> final game of the season I believe we should petition the team to bring back the red helmets, blue jerseys, a la 1990s Buffalo Bills. Just to exercise those, just one game to exercise basically all of the demons of my childhood (laughs) in my adult years. The most amazing thing in the world. That would be the greatest palate cleanser that's ever existed. How could you (laughs) imagine? Yeah. (laughs) It would be awesome. It would be awesome. All right. I'm going to talk about stuff I'm excited about on the defensive side. And I've already kind of led into this a little bit. Greg Rousseau, man, he is popping in camp. He really looks like he's taking that next step. And he showed some really nice flashes last season. Um, You know, a lot of people, because, you know, Twitter is, of course, real life. A lot of people are like, oh, he peaked in the Kansas City game in week whatever it was, right? No, 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 no. There was consistent progression in his rookie season where you really began to see the type of ceiling that the team brought him in thinking he could achieve. With the addition of Miller taking some of the pressure off of that young pass rushing core, it Rousseau looks more comfortable in this defense at this point uh, in camp than he was last season, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it's not just comfort. it's It looks like clarity in his role. And this is something that I think was lacking last season on that defensive line. Of course, the Buffalo Bills, they play this rotating defensive line where if anybody gets over 50% of the snaps in any given game, you're like, what happened? What, what was wrong with that, right? Um, was, there, was there something off with the game plan? Um, Rousseau feels not just much more comfortable in that rotation, but he looks like he is able to lock in on his assignment at a level that he simply couldn't at. And I really do think knowing that he's got, that's knowing that he's got Von Miller and probably an also improved interior as well. But knowing that he's got Von Miller back there. But dude, if Greg Rousseau pops and Von Miller is 80% of the Von Miller we saw last season, um, 
the Buffalo Bills will be adding that final defensive element that they've been lacking for so long. And that's a pass rush that just doesn't win and pass rush win rate because we saw how much that mattered <laughs> yeah. in the Kansas City game. But dudes that are going to get the opposing QB dirty. If they can do that, this defense is poised to have what I think could be a really special year. They need to finish. They were top 10 in sacks, but they didn't have them in the moments that they mattered most. And they didn't have giant, explosive, turnover-worthy plays and things like that. So they were just solid about reducing you know, other teams' yards and ultimate achievement. And that's great. That's, that's worked for us for years now. The Bills are a winning team. Um, but yeah, I think that they need that splash. And the thing, the, the people out there who are like, oh, Greg Rousseau just had that one good game against, against KC. No, Idiots. Greg Rousseau. They're not watching football. He, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, he had a whole season of above average, you know, run defense for a defensive end in a really challenging spot because the Bills defense is arranged in a way where that defensive end, his ultimate responsibility is stealing the edge on every play, not just, you know, on, on rushing plays, he needs to be the, the kind of furthest defender um, in a lot of ways and keep an eye on what's leaking out on that side and, and different things like that. So he did a great job of having football awareness, closing speed. His length is amazing for that. I think he came in and kind of used the tools that he had most, you know, available at hand because he didn't have time to develop new tools in the NFL. He didn't play a snap of football the year before he was drafted as a rookie. And then as a rookie, he had kind of a somewhat shortened off-season program because we were still kind of working our way through COVID. And then, um, you know, got into a full camp and had to learn. That was the first time he was taking snaps on a football field that it, where it mattered against NFL-caliber opponents. And he played a whole season um, and got more experience. And I think with that, and you see the biggest jump in my experience oftentimes with defensive players is that year one to year two, because they now, especially if they're healthy for the full first year, they now have, have played against NFL opponents on offense and they have a sense of what they need to work on. And then they start working on it in the off season. And I think that that's the reason they drafted him is the traits and that he's a hard worker and he's you know all about ball. So I'm really excited like you are for, for Greg Rousseau. What else, uh, what else is uh, particularly interesting to you this year? I'm, I'm going to stick with the D-line because, it, listen, we talked about this ad nauseum in the former iteration of this pod, keeping the receipts. If there was, and we're kind of, it feels like, picking nits at this point, but if there's anywhere you could have criticized Bean's roster build, it was, it was in the trenches, right? It was on the defensive line. It was on the offensive line. I actually think I was going back. I was listening to some of our, our past pods, and we actually, <laughs> you and I had actually questioning the physicality of this team. Are we a finesse team? We're, we're, the Buffalo Bills don't play finesse football, right? Like, But it had gotten to that point where the, the D-line seemed to never be able to get a push, and it seemed like the offensive line was always getting pushed, right? Obviously, things cleared, cleared, the, cleared up a little bit towards the end of the season, but Ed Oliver really popped last season. And again, in a season where he was allowed to play more, but not exclusively um, in the three-tech spot, which is his more nat natural position, the rebuild of that defensive line and bringing in guys like um, Tim Settle, right, I think could make a really, really big difference for that team. The return of Jordan Phillips, even though I don't know that Phillips is going to play a massive role necessarily, to see Oliver play with some improved interior defensive um, counterparts on the on the inside of the defensive line, 
I think Oliver finally realizes maybe not that Aaron Donald potential because I think that was the comp for him coming out of college. Um, but I think he could really assert himself as a top five D lineman in the league. Um, he took amazing strides last year. You mentioned run-stopping uh, run power with Greg Rousseau last year. Oliver in the run game was exceptional. We've parted ways with Harrison Phillips in the offseason, and Phillips was a huge part of that as well. But I think just based on how Bean has made up for the loss of Phillips with some of the additions he's made, and you factor in that that defensive line rotation, I actually think Ed Oliver and a lot of those guys on the interior are poised to have a, a very, very big season. They're more athletic. They're a little bit nastier, I want to say, than they were last year as well. Yep. So I think in both the pass rush with getting interior pressure, which is just as important these days as getting pressure off the edge, I think of a guy like Kyler Murray, who I think we're going to, we're playing the Cardinals this year, I think, on the schedule. I think of a guy like Kyler Murray, who has no problem stepping out of the pocket and getting around a good edge, where guys like Kyler Murray and some of these smaller, more athletic QBs really stumble is when you can bring pressure up the interior. And I think the rebuild of this defensive line with the addition of guys like we had mentioned before, plus Oliver taking another step, I think the Buffalo Bills could present a really, really complete pressure package against opposing offensive lines. So I'm excited for this interior defensive line to see what they can do with some of these new pieces plus Oliver. And I just checked it. We're not playing. Uh, we are not playing the Arizona Cardinals. So I thought we, we had the Cardinals this year for some reason. We'll have to see Kyler from afar. We're playing the, uh, Son of the a NFL. No, the we got I want against, them. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Packers, I just, Vikings, Lions. got to do it. Yeah. yeah, we've got Packers, Vikings, Lions, and... Um, Bears. Uh, oh, year. yeah, so that's right. That's, that's right. our NFC oh. rotation. Yep. Oh, God. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree completely. And, and one of the things that, you know, you talked about tone, you talked about, you know, upgrades. Um, Starlo Tulele was a shell of the player that, you know, Bean and McDermott knew in Carolina. Daquan Jones is better, is probably better at this point than Star was at his peak. Agreed. Given, you know, his experience in Tennessee, he's younger. Um, he's a little bit bigger and I think that's the biggest thing I just want to add to your, your great comments on the interior defensive line is the fact that the, uh, the, the bulk they added Tim settle oh. Daquan Jones and Jordan Phillips, each and every one of them is bigger than I think the biggest defensive interior, you know, player that the bills had last year. In yeah, Harrison you're Phillips. absolutely and right. Every single one of them is bigger and, and bulkier and better at run stuffing and, that's really what Ed Oliver needed. Ed Oliver had kind of a blow up second half of the year last year. His mm-hmm. metrics were insane. You know, they were kind of approaching that, that unfair comparison to Aaron Donald, I think is, is true. It's unfair. He's ne- he's probably never going to get there because Aaron Donald's like one of the greatest defensive players to ever play the game. But he was, you know, the kinds of explosive get off, the kinds of quick pressure beating, the kinds of, you know, mm-hmm. double teams he was splitting. They were incredible. And so, um, a top top ten, top five defensive interior penetration style player at the three technique. Um, he just needed somebody dependable to eat up blocks next to him, and I believe Daquan Jones is going to be that person. And then I think Tim Settle, you know, spelling Daquan Jones, or even Jordan Phillips spelling Daquan Jones if they need a little bit more um, penetration style, because Phillips and Settle are both a little bit more like Ed Oliver than Daquan Jones is. Daquan Jones is your traditional. I'm going to hold the point of attack right in the middle and let the other guys on the defensive line do work because I'm going to, you're going to have to double me. 
Yep. If point of comparison, Harrison Phillips, I think, was 6'1", 6'2". He tipped the scales at about 299 at the end of the season. Yep. Tim Settle, 25 years old, 6'3", 313. Jordan Phillips, 6'6", 330. Daquan Jones, 6'4", 320. Point of comparison, Ed Oliver, 6'1", 287, right? Um, and I agree with you. Star was, you could argue Star was the only bad contract, too, that Brandon Bean has ever negotiated for the Buffalo yeah, Bills, just one. by the way that it played out. But all three of those guys, I don't, I don't know that there's an individual guy that'll bring what Star brought in his prime necessarily, but in the aggregate, those three guys replacing Harrison Phillips and Star, it's going to let Ed Oliver do finally what he was meant to do in that three technique position. So yeah, I'm excited for that. And then finally, and I don't, I'll be interested to get your thoughts on this, right? I, I, I am, I appreciate the zone scheme that Sean McDermott has brought. I think after the, the 13 second debacle that we saw last year, uh, everyone was wondering why we weren't in a little bit more press man, or at least in playing in the same stadium as some of the wide receivers for the, the Kansas city chiefs yeah. last year. Um, surprising stat for you though, as I was combing through things, getting ready for the pod, the Buffalo bills last year were actually the eight played the eighth most man coverage in the entire NFL, which I found stunning. And I had to check that stat against, against a couple of different sites. They were actually closer to top five, um, as we, as we approached, uh, just the past the halfway point. And then those stats began to pull, pull back a little bit when, of course, Trey White went down and they started to play more zone, uh, a lot more zone, less man and a way to, to get Jack Jackson, uh, comfortable and familiar with his position taking over for White. But with the addition of Kair Elam, who I think coming out of Florida, dude can play zone, but his strength is press man and playing physical against wideouts. I actually think I'm excited to see the Buffalo Bills play a little bit more man. If there's anything they hopefully learned from the way that Kansas City game ended and all of the speed elements that um, Miami has added to the offense, a lot of the changes in personnel that the Jets have made. Um, we'll talk about the Patriots later and what they, by and large, haven't done. But when you look at the landscape of just the division, and McDermott always talks about winning the division, then, you know, getting home field advantage and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to winning the division, they're simply going to have to play more, man. They're going to have to play a little bit of press because they can't let these little fast guys cut them up all the time in zone. And I think when you add the best safety tandem in the league and, and Jordan Poyer and Michael, Michael Hyde into that equation, I actually think the Buffalo Bills are going to play a little bit more man. And I'm excited to see that that change of pace in the defense this year. Yeah, I, I am too, and I think that the uh, the big thing that you know you can take away from the the Kansas City game is that um, one they needed finishers, and two they you know their scheme is not an answer to elite opponents. Like the scheme is not an answer to an elite opponents. Totally the agree. Scheme, the scheme that the Bills employ will get you by eighty five percent of the league in terms of beating their execution. And it will ultimately shut down to no yards gained anyone who's below average at executing, right? Like that's what that defense is designed to do. It's to beat somebody by limiting the availability of their offense. But when somebody can can kind of expand beyond the uh, way above average zones, like uh, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, um, Kelsey, you know, when someone can transcend the offensive execution and, and just be the top of the top, the Bills defense is is going to have weaknesses 
because the scheme is no longer going to save you. And so I, I think that that's, you're absolutely right. You need people to save you in those situations. And that's what I think a Tredavious White, a Kyrie Elam, a Von Miller can do. It's those are individual players who can just on their own transcend the offensive execution. Yep. I a hundred percent couldn't have said it better myself. All right, man. So those are the things that we're excited about. Yeah. Let's hit worries. So I just finished up with my excitement about the defense. JJ, what are, where are some elements you think might be cause for concern heading into the season with the Bills defense? I'm going to hit all, all kind of three of mine and then let you pick and choose what you want to comment on in the, yeah. you know, in the interest of time. So um, I'm a little bit concerned with how they're going to play Rousseau and Von Miller together because they're both left-end pass rushers. That's both their natural position. And so I know that the Bills like to rotate, but, you know, they've had some weird mixed messages coming out. Um, you know, Leslie Frazier has said, you know, Von Miller, we're going to get make sure Von Miller's on the field when, when we need him on the field. And that's just like a weird thing to say. It's like, what does that even mean? And where is he going to be rushing from? And, you know, I've got, I've got thoughts. I've got thoughts okay. on that, but keep yeah. going. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one is like, how is that all going to work together? Because it seems like somebody's going to have to be playing out of position a little bit. Um, so that's a concern. Um, the second is, this is the first year we've seen that the Bills will start the season, and part of this is because of Tredavious White's injury, they'll start the season needing to lean on multiple rookies in major roles on the defense. And that's both Kyrie Elam and, to a slightly lesser extent, but still reasonable, Terrell Bernard, who might be their their you know linebacker three in that A.J. Klein role. And I believe we're going to have to play a lot more teams that like to run the ball in the first seven weeks, it's going to be a lot more physical matchups against teams that will try to run it at us, which means we might see three linebacker sets. And Terrell Bernard might be getting a huge number of snaps early on, in addition to Kyrie Elam needing to probably lock down one side of the field with Tredavious White either out or working his way back to full, you know, full capacity. So that's the second thing I'm worried about is kind of those rookies. And then the third is kind of a general across the board. It could be defense, offense, the whole team. Um, is injury regression to the mean. I think that the Bills have been one of the healthiest teams for two or three years running, um, which you like to see because it, it indicates a trend that they know how to take care of players' bodies and help players take care of themselves um, to avoid injuries. But that's not the kind of thing that you can really count on, right? Like we can't presume they're going to, again, be the healthiest team after two years of it um, in the league. So thoughts and i think i think i know where you're going first with this one but yeah i want to talk about the von miller stuff because i'm excited yeah. about it but i'm also realistic based on where he has is at his age when you look at the the overall arc of his progression i don't want to say he's in a career regression right now when you look at his production but you know 12 sack 13 sack 14 sack von miller might be a thing of the past it, I, von miller is an exciting signing he's going to take you, he's a guy you have to game plan for. But I also think with the Buffalo Bills planning to make a deep run, I can see large swaths of the season where Von Miller becomes something of a third down pass rush specialist, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if Epineza um, hits this season, which we've been waiting for, it feels like forever. If Rousseau does indeed take the step that we feel like he could take. And if Oliver becomes that quick step, double team splitting monster that everybody thinks, what's the need for Von Miller to play 60 or 70% of snaps in games, right? So I think, and I think this is a big reason why why Miller um, came to Buffalo. It wasn't just the potential to play with with Josh Allen and everything like that. The, the defensive rotation in Buffalo 
could add years to his career. And I think that's something that he's thinking about. And I believe him and the Bills coaching staff have an understanding of where he's going to be most effective. I don't want to call it load management, but I want to be realistic. I think Miller plays like we would expect Miller to play the first few games of the season. And then if everything is working out the way that it needs to on that defensive line, I can see Von Miller becoming something of a specialist later in the season, getting ready for what we hope will be a deep postseason run. And I think that is what what Frazier's comment is kind of alluding to. Like you don't take your you don't want to come out and say that your biggest free agent signing in the last decade is basically going to be a pass rush specialist for you, right? right? Um it would be an immediate kick in the nuts for all Bills fans to hear that, but I think realistically that's where this thing could trend. Not in a bad way. It's going to trend that way if everything hits. I don't think if you're the Buffalo Bills, you want to rely on Von Miller to be a 12, 13 or 14 sack guy. Sure. No, I think that's a good point to kind of to riff off that for a minute. Just the thought from an X's and O's standpoint of the different combinations that the Bills can throw at a team in a pass rush situation is titillating. Like Von Miller from the left end, which is where he's made most of his over 100 sacks, right? Like Mm -hmm. Von Miller from the left end, Greg Rousseau, who in his 15 sack college campaign before he sat out for a year had, um, I think 10 of them were from the interior. They weren't even from the edge. Mm-hmm. So what you bump Greg, Greg Russo inside next to Von Miller, he's a condor. <laughs> right. And then you have, you know, Ed Oliver next to him. And then you have, um, you know, one of Epineza, Shaq Lawson or Boogie Basham on holding down the other end. It's just like, what, what do you do? Like, how do you, what do you do, Dan? I'm so afraid. <laughs> I'm How so do you end up for... seeing the forest for all those trees on I'm, the front line, I'm... man? <laughs> well, I'm afraid for any quarterback that's even a slight bit shorter than six three, or any quarterback who holds a ball longer than three seconds, because like they're just toast. They're toast. You know, unless they have an, an outstanding elite offensive line, that's a recipe for disaster for an opposing offense. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited to see that too, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, man, I'm going to bundle up my three worries here because I know we want to talk a little bit of league stuff here as well. We just want to riff on a couple of things happening around the league. Um, so here are my worries. And I listen, I want to preface this by saying I am, I mean, this is relative to everyone else, right? Like I'm going to talk about offensive line. I'm going to talk about Gabe Davis. I'm going to talk about offensive coordinator. We are demonstrably better in all of these areas than many teams around the league. But when it comes to just speaking about our bills, I acknowledge I am picking nits at this point. But I am a little bit concerned about O-line depth. Um, Spencer Brown showed signs last year that he could be a a lockdown tackle for this team, but he is in his second season. He took an unexpected um, lion's share of snaps last year due to offensive line turmoil and injuries and things like that. It'll be interesting to see if he can bring a little bit more consistency and stability to his play as the season wears on this year. Roger Saffold, incredible upgrade for my money at the interior guard position, but who's behind him? On the depth chart, our our favorite, always but our favorite Buffalo Bill interior offensive lineman, Cody Ford, right? Now, again, the Buffalo Bill, you you mentioned injury, right? And the Buffalo Bills have prided themselves on being able to buck the mean when it comes to those things based based on their strength, conditioning, and overall recovery programs. It really has become a model for the league. One injury to that offensive line, be it at tackle, be it at guard, 
and this is a this is a group that is closer to the group that we trotted out there the first five weeks last season than it is the team that ultimately was able to stabilize things at the last six weeks of last season. So I worry about offensive line depth pretty considerably. I want Gabe Davis to be awesome and a superstar, but how many times has the guy who everyone has talked about all, all year, all off season to be the breakout actually broken out statistically, right? So, I, and it's nothing about Davis's game, right? But I think we do need to be realistic about the fact that he dropped 15% of his passes last year on target. Um, he struggles a lot with route running still. His footwork along the sideline is masterful, but his his route running progression, his route tree, still really rough in a lot of different areas. He's got an, um, this incredible physical element to him that I think makes him maybe one of the more like robust guys that can challenge at the point of catch um, on the Buffalo Bills squad. But I don't know that I've seen the ball security or the improvement to route running that makes me think he's immediately going to be the the best number two outside option in the league, right? Like a lot of people are saying. And if he does struggle, the Buffalo Bills wide receiver room looks a lot different because they got a lot of guys on that squad after Davis that can do sort of the same thing. And McKenzie, Shakir, Shakur, and... Um, and Crowder, but you don't have really a, another outside threat in that group beyond Diggs. So I think we need Davis to pop. I'm just kind of pumping the brakes a little bit on a lot of this off-season hype because the hype almost never lives up to the the production on the field. I swear to God, I hope I'm wrong about that, but I, I need to see a little bit more ball security and route running competency from Davis before I'm like, yeah, he's going to be the dude this year because he's not going to sneak up on anybody like teams are going to go after him and they're going to play him probably closer to like he's a number one than a two. And he's going to see some really strong challenges from opposing DBs early on. Uh, and then finally, and this is less of a worry and more of a curiosity. What is Dorsey's offense actually going to look like? I think we've seen bits and pieces. I think we know how they're going to deploy guys like James Cook, or at least how they want to. Um, I definitely get the sense they want to run Allen less but to do that, they need a competent running game from their actual running backs. I think all those things are true, but I, I, I don't know what identity this offense is going to have beyond all of the, the physical tools that Allen brings to the table. I'll be interested to see scheme. Um, there were a lot of times where you and I would criticize Dable last year from not reading the room. Again, I go back to that week one, <laughs> that week one game, right? Where it didn't matter how much penetration TJ Watt was getting there. They, Dable was not going to bring in an extra blocker. He wasn't yeah, going to leave no. anyone in protect it's for Allen four wide all day, four yeah. wide all day. And Dable became stubborn to that point. A lot of times Dorsey doesn't strike me as a stubborn play caller. Right. But I'm just curious as to what is his scheme going to look like? Cause it's an unknown for me at this point. Yeah, no, I, I have that worry too. I mean, it's interesting because um, I actually, when all the news was coming out that Dable was leaving and then they ended up offering the OC to Dorsey, he was picked as the OC. I actually thought there might be a chance for them to upgrade in play calling because Dorsey is somebody and Dable, I think did a wonderful job. And I, I've always been a, you know, a Dable defender. Um, but Dorsey, and what is it with all these D names? But, you know, Dorsey, I think, is uh, the thing that he brings is he's a little bit saucier. He's got this competitive fire that Josh Allen talks about. And I know that Dable, you can't be a, a coach in the NFL at any level uh, or any position, you know, in a front office or, I'm sorry, in a locker room in an NFL team without being a competitor. 
Um, but I don't know that Dable would ever be described as fiery. He was a strategist, right? And so mm-hmm. I wonder what that fiery looks like too. I'm worried about it a little bit because it gets it might be one of those things where they're just like, you know, teams start anticipating, oh well, we stuffed him on this one, so expect them to try to light it up over the top with digs on this, you know, on this play because Dorsey's pissed, right? Like that's the kind of thing I worry about with that competitive fire, but I also am curious if it's gonna come through in ways where like we talk about, you know, being finishers in those close score games. Like, are we going to like put somebody's lights out at, at the end and just pour points on them? Like, you know, the 47, 17 game against the Patriots in the playoffs. Like, is that what we can hope for with more Dorsey? Um, and I, re- and I really hope so. Um, yeah. and, and for the, the Davis points, I think that at least, you know, I think that everyone would agree who's looked at the schedule that the bills have a pretty hard stretch of seven games to start it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, <laughs> They come out of the gates after the preseason and play the uh, Super Bowl champion Rams, the Tennessee Titans, who were the AFC one seed, the Dolphins, who sold their entire future for Tyreek Hill, um, the Ravens, who seemingly have, you know, healthy players on their team, which they didn't have at this point last year, and then Steelers, Chiefs, Packers, right? Like, that's <laughs> that's a run, right? That's difficult. Dude, that Packers defense... I can't wait yeah. to I can't wait to do that game preview. That Packers defense is bonkers. They're yeah. bonkers. I look at them and I'm like, are did did they did they just like change the roster in Madden? Did they just like not do franchise <laughs> trades? Like, did they just update the roster? Like, it is it's crazy yeah. that the personnel on that defense is crazy in Green Bay. So, but the, what I'm saying though is that that those first seven weeks are pretty pretty crazy, and then it gets a lot easier. I, I think you know what we believe easier, right yeah Yeah. what we believe easier um and so my thought on gabe davis is if teams come out and give him like number one or top number two attention Diggs might have the best seven games of anyone's career (laughs) as a wide receiver (laughs) because of we know we know what josh allen and stefan Diggs have as rapport if they twist attention away from Diggs at all i think he's going to eat and i even if Davis doesn't prove to need that kind of attention and he doesn't have a kind of breakout season that we might be anticipating his last, you know, his last step on the field moment against the chiefs was big enough that I think the league's a little bit shook and scared of him. They might, they might rotate away from digs or, or just make it balanced coverage across the board, which I think is the, probably the best for both of them. And we might even see an Isaiah McKenzie blow up game like the Patriots where, you know, if they're focused on both those outside receivers, it's all McKenzie and cooks all day. I could see it. I could realistically see a year where, statistically speaking, McKenzie has a better season than Gabe Davis. And again, I, yeah. I'm excited for Davis to take that step. It'd be great to have a legitimate one-two punch on the outside at wideout for Allen to play with. But I, I could realistically see, for a lot of the reasons you're talking about, I could see McKenzie statistically having a better season than than Davis this year. Um, yeah, yeah. Can I say to, to one your... more thing? Yeah, yeah, I want to say I want to say like one more thing on Dorsey too. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> I, so before you go to Dorsey, I'll say one thing, which is we've been talking about offense this entire pod, like in all sorts of layers and and whatevers, and the we're it's such an embarrassment of riches as a Bills fan right now. We haven't even mentioned Dawson Knox, who tied the tight ends Seriously. for touchdowns last year in his season and what was seemingly a breakout season for him too. Like they just like if if you shut down anything, there's always something else that they can beat you with like Dawson Knox with two touchdowns or yeah, two touchdowns in the saints game just took mm-hmm. that game over. Right. Like, because they were doing some different things and trying to roll coverage 
and the the safeties weren't there when they needed them to be because Dawson Dawson Knox was leaking behind them like that. Man, I'm just I'm so excited. Anyway, and that so- actually no 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 because that actually rolls into my Dorsey point and. And again, I what Dable did for this franchise, all Bills fans should be like anytime Dable is in Buffalo, he should never buy his own beer, right? Like we should all treat Dable like a king whenever we see that dude for what he did. A key difference that I see so far in the limited amount of time I've I've watched some some Buffalo Bills training camp stuff, um, and listened to folks who have been around the team, is that Dorsey has a really really advanced handle on the skill set of the personnel. And there were times last year with Dable calling the plays where we were like, does d- does he know he can line up Stefan Diggs like on the other side of the field? Does he know right. that like he can line up Diggs in the slot? Like, does he know McKenzie can, is good in motion, yeah. right? Like, where's the motion, yeah. right? And and we're yeah. not, of course, we're not coaches. Like, no one's no. ever going to hire us to coach their yeah. team. They'd be insane, right? So we're we're saying this we're saying this stuff from our couches and our air quotes <laughs> our studio, right? Yes. Yeah. Which for me is a pantry, you know. Yes. But um, but but a key difference seems to be that Dorsey has a really intimate understanding of the skill sets available to this personnel. And I'm not saying that Dable didn't. But again, there was a stubbornness to Dable's scheme where he, there were times where he felt like scheme, the, the personnel could be malleable to the scheme. Yes. And I actually think with Dorsey, there is a potential where we see that, that equation flipped, where he is willing to use the personnel skill set where it's at to fit whatever scheme needs that he wants, right? So I'm, I'm actually excited to see that. I mean, it goes back to Dorsey in his college days. Dorsey was a, a good college quarterback who is a great game manager by distributing the ball to exceptional talent at the University of yes. Miami, right? He has an understanding of where these pieces fit from an on-the-field and off-the-field strategical perspective. It, I actually think he's going to bring an element of customizability to the offense we haven't seen in a while based on personnel. Well, and I think that, you know, just to kind of kind of go off of that point, um, the thing that we both were so frustrated with Dable about was the fact that the Bills for two years basically didn't have any kind of reasonable plan or identity in their run you know, run blocking and, and right. run personnel, right? And so we know, well, we know, we, we hear that the way that things work in the, in the Buffalo Bills organization is that the coaches tell Brandon Bean what, t- what archetypes of players they need and Brandon Bean finds and scouts those players that they need for the scheme, right? Like that, that is how we have players like Christian Benford. That's how we have players like Tredavious White, Kyrie Elam. We don't want long corners. We want them to have, have some explosiveness, but we, more importantly, we want them to be smart players who do well. And so, you know, like there's, there's an archetype that they ask for, then Bean go gets it, goes and gets it. I think Dable was so, so obsessed with being a multiple rush attack team Mm-hmm. That he never he never had a unified five offensive lineman who could all do the same type of thing well. We talked before. Daryl Williams was a mauler. Cody Ford is a bit of a mauler. Mitch Morse is a incredibly athletic zone blocking expert. Yep. You know Deion Dawkins, incredibly athletic zone blocking expert. Um, Spencer Brown, athletic zone blocking. Right. Like so, we had a mix of these players, and like, and they, and then they also tried to switch within games what type of blocking they were doing. And when you have two players succeeding with their blocks on a, on a run play and three failing because it's not what they do best, and then you the next series you do a different kind of blocking scheme and the three players all of a sudden are in their element, but two guys are whiffing because they're not making it to the point that they need to get to, 
that's when you can be like, okay, why are you sending Singletary on a wide zone run play who's not right. explosive? <laughs> right. And his lead blockers are the two slowest guards on the team, right? Like, yes. what are we doing? And it was because Dable had this dream, this fantasy of like, I'm going to be a team that can do everything, right? Like, I don't see that with Dorsey, just mm -hmm. based on what you've talked about, based on his career and where he's come up from and his understanding. He was never a player in his brief time in the league and his long time in college who ever could lean on his individual traits. He had to have a plan that accentuated everyone's traits. And so that's mm -hmm. really what I'm, I'm looking forward to. I, I agree. I agree. So again, it's a wor Dorsey a worry for me only because it's an unknown, but there there is potential to see some some real improvements if you can imagine that to the Buffalo Bills offense and the way they use personnel. All right, man. Oh, this has felt so good to talk Bills stuff. You want to do a few things around the league? I got a couple of things off the top of my head I want to pick your brain about. Sure. Um, and and for those of you who are unfamiliar with this podcast or listening for the first time, uh, JJ and I like to hit both Bills stuff and NFL stuff in equal measure. Uh, I think we're just going to lightly touch on some league stuff here as we get rolling for the season because right now it's camp. Um, a lot of the speculations out there make sense to focus solely on bills, but there's a couple of things lead why league wide I want to pick your brain on, and I want to I want to if you're open to it stay in the division. And we've already mentioned it. The Miami Dolphins have made several improvements to their team in a variety of different ways, offensively and defensively. Um, I'm curious as to what your take on the uh, the fish are these days. So. I... <laughs> I have a lot of feelings. Um, my 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 beloved niece Jordan is a hardcore Miami Dolphins fan and has been since she was like a tiny child, uh, and mostly just to stick it in her parents' eyes, who are Bills fans like myself. Childhood um, rebellion, I understand. Oh yeah, no, it was it was strong early on. So <laughs> um, the thing that I think about the Dolphins and like I don't want to trash on the Dolphins for my familial reasons, but also because I just feel bad for them. I, like the biggest problem I have with the Dolphins is that they've basically traded, you know, they've traded a lot away for Tyreek Hill. They've, you know, drafted in kind of curious ways. I don't know that they've gotten a whole lot better. I think Teron Ar Armstead from the Saints as a tackle is a, is an upgrade, but he's so late in his career. It's like, how long is this going to be? Is he going to um, stay healthy? Yeah, I mean, that's the big like, thing with him. So, you know, it's really a question of, is Tua the guy? That's, that's mm -hmm. my biggest thought, is they've done – I think they've had – the Dolphins have a good plan. I think that's true. Um, and that plan is put everything around Tua and make it a, a kind of referendum on whether or not he's the guy. Because this year should determine that for that team. They oh, re-signed Mike Gesicki. They have, you know, Jalen Waddell and, and Tyreek Hill on the wideout position. They've got, they've bolstered the offensive line. They've got Chase Edmonds from the Cardinals as a running back. They got Raheem Mostert, like from the 49ers. They're doing a lot to try to build up the line, build up the running backs, um, give him all of the support in terms of a good running attack and then good weapons on the outside and see what he does. And if he doesn't, I think that they're going to have to they're going to have to start over at the QB position, and so that that's what I think about the Dolphins. I think that there's a chance that they're competitive. They are hampered by Tua, and they're hampered by the fact that they yet again have changed their entire coaching staff, and so it's never going to be super clean and crisp in the first year of a coaching staff. And so I think those are the things that are going to hold them back. I don't I don't dislike Tua Tagovailoa. I just don't know that he's the guy because he hasn't shown it. 
He's not, you know, done anything outstanding. Um, and other than he's been a decent distributor of the football. And for all the Dolphins fans out there who are kind of holding up, you know, Josh Allen's first two years against Tua Tungvaloa's first two years and saying, oh, his, this is his year. Like, it, it, the problem is he doesn't have that ceiling to grow into with his physical gifts. That was always the given with Josh Allen. If he can put it all together, his arm's never going to hold him back. His athleticism's never going to hold him back. But that's the opposite with Tua. Tua's athleticism, his arm, those are the things that will hold him back. The other stuff was already there when he was coming out of college. And so I, I want to know what this season's going to look like, and I think this season's going to determine whether or not the Dolphins are looking for a quarterback in next draft. Yeah, I agree. Um, Marcel Louis-Jacques, who former ESPN beat writer for the Buffalo Bills, now since moved on to the Miami Dolphins as of last season. He was on the Mina Kime show a couple of weeks ago, and I, I think he summarized what the Dolphins were doing in a really, really smart way, as he does, because he's a, he's a brilliant beat writer and a great analyst of the game. He said that Miami was trying to isolate the variable. So if we improve in all these areas and we keep our constant at QB, it's going to show us where the variable is and our ability to succeed. You know, I, I would argue that the Dolphins are in a really similar place to where the Cleveland Browns were back in 2018 when they added all that talent around Baker Mayfield and they souped up the defense in a lot of incredible ways. Great draft picks, great free agency picks, right? All of, all of those things were demonstrably elevated and they still can get over the hump because of the limitations in the pocket, right? It, this is going to be a very similar, very telling I think third season for Tua in that way as well. Now they signed Teddy Bridgewater is their backup. Do I have that right? I, I want to say yes. it's Bridgewater. Yeah. Yep. So, Bridgewater. so one of the more popular bets that's circulating on sports books right now is over under on Bridgewater playing six games this season. Right. Mm. So if that happens, it's for one of two reasons. It, Tua gets injured, which I don't think anybody wants to see. No one, no one yeah. should be should be rooting for that. Right. I think what's a more I think what's more realistic to happen this year is that we see Bridgewater come in at some point this season to to replace Tua if Tua is not up to the moment. Um, it hasn't been easy on Tua, as you mentioned, from a coaching transition standpoint. But but this is a literally a make or break season for him. I think the Dolphins have a potential to do really well. That defense last year was young. That secondary was borderline lockdown and they've retained and built around a lot of those parts there that defense should scare a lot of people around the league because they're pretty solid it but you still have questions at qb and you still have some questions despite upgrades offense on the offensive line right yep. and those are questions that the elite teams the green bays the buffaloes it don't have right now so i think if there's going to be a separator between those those two levels it's going to be in that area for the Miami Dolphins this year against the elite teams. So I think I think they have a good season. I mean, listen, they f they finished two games out of first. I don't I don't yeah. think I don't think people appreciate that enough. They finished yeah. two, they were two games away from winning the division last year, and I think they've done more than enough to improve their win total this season. At, but as have the Bills, right? So I think the Bills continue to pace them in a lot of ways. But I think Miami has a shot to be really good, even with an average Tua. Well, and I think for for my final thought on Tua, Brian Flores, who finished two games out of division winning for his team and had 10 wins the year before, Brian Flores 
was removed from the head coaching position, um, mostly, if you believe the speculation, because he doesn't think Tua is the man. He doesn't believe Tua is the QB that can lead that franchise, and he wanted to do some different things. Shoot, um, they were breaking all sorts of <laughs> laws and league rules to court yeah. Tom Brady, we came to find yeah. out this, this, yes. the, over the past few days. Yeah. So, so really what I, what I, you know, what I think the most of that is that Brian Flores left because he didn't think Tua was the guy. That's, that is a huge indictment for me on Tua's ability to take that huge step that everyone's expecting him or hoping mm-hmm. for him to take. So I think, you know, all that being said, I think that the Dolphins are looking for a quarterback in 2023. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd put that at a, a better than 50%, better than 50% certainty as well, for sure. Um, and then the other league thing I want to talk about, because everything here is Buffalo Bill centric, right? Um, so I want to talk uh, right now as we dip a toe into getting ready for this season, uh, as we head around the league, I want to talk about the team that put the Bills out of the postseason last year, the Kansas City Chiefs. We have mentioned their uh, their trade away for Tyreek Hill. They have revamped that wide receiver room. Um, lots of savvy draft picks, as that, that organization tends to do, and almost a complete rebuild on the defense in a variety of different areas. They finally mercifully said goodbye to Daniel Sorensen in that safety room, Tyron Matthew, uh, no longer with the team either. Um, but that's a team that looks poised to take another bite out of the apple here and make another run. So it, it, it's hard to say that a team that loses Tyreek Hill and loses some of the stability in the secondary gets better, but the Chiefs look like they're going to be a really, really formidable matchup again this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the offseason moves the Chiefs have made, and where do you position them heading into this season? So um, I, I'm thinking back to uh, – I was listening to, to Joe Marino on, on Lockdown Bills. Um, great listen. If you don't, you know, go, go listen to him as well. Um, and he had uh, – guy from football outsiders and the chiefs lost more likely offensive production in this off season than any team has ever lost in the history of the metric in like 64 years or something like that. Their expected points added has been, has taken a massive hit in the off season in the different skill positions, Tyreek Hill being a big piece of that, of course, but in general, you know, they've, they've lost a lot of juice and they haven't added any that is really you know well established um, or replacement level to this point. They've added a lot of potential. I think that's the big thing is they've they've doubled down on potential and trying to rebuild, you know, through the draft as you need to do when you have a big ticket quarterback. Um, and so I will never doubt Andy Reid's ability to get things out of his players. He usually puts his players in the best position to win. But I'm very curious as to how they're going to get it done on offense when it seems like they've taken a pretty big step back and rebuilt, you know, a lot of Patrick Mahomes weapons. And what we know, you know, as Bills fans with a good quarterback is when you have a team with a good quarterback, those weapons have to be people that the quarterback trusts, right? Like a mishmash worked for years for the Bills with quarterbacks who were not reliable themselves because it's like, well, whatever, like, you know, no, nobody's a standout. But when you have, you know, a Tyree Kill, Patrick Mahomes connection, that connection is not just simply replaced by a couple of really flashy, you know, talented individuals. Um, and so I'm really curious as to what the season is going to look like. I don't think it's it, – it, I'm, I'm not anywhere in the neighborhood of thinking that Kansas City is, like, in, you know, a position where they're not going to make the playoffs or not win their division. Um, but I think there's a chance that it's not as open and shut as it's been in the previous in previous years, especially with the AFC West get coming up as it has. 
Mm-hmm. I think that the um, I'll say that the Chargers and the I think the Chargers got better than the Kansas City Chiefs reloaded. I think that the mm, um, Broncos, yeah. I think the Broncos had a very complete roster minus a quarterback. And now they have a quarterback. So like uh, there's, mm, I, think there's I don't know about, we're, I can't wait to talk about yeah. that. I don't know about, yeah. I, I can't wait to talk about Russ, but yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Russ, 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 Russell runs in sacks Wilson. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I mean, still they have some talented weapons that you, you can hate on Russ all you want. The dude can produce. He is capable of producing when he's properly supported. And so mm-hmm. we'll see. He, he would tell you he's never been properly supported, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> so, but I just, I guess for me, it's it's not, it, for the past three years, I think it's been the Kansas City Chiefs have sort of walked over their division as also Rams. Mm-hmm. I think this year that, that road's going to be a little bit harder for them. I agree. I agree. Here's what Here's why I still think the Chiefs are... I mean, listen, this is a Buffalo Bills podcast, so the Bills are obviously number one in our hearts, minds, and souls. But here's why I think the Chiefs are still a realistic number two. That's the best offensive line in football, bar none, right? When you've got the best offensive line behind a top two quarterback in the league, again, Buffalo Bills fan podcast, right? It's (laughs) JA17 all day, every day. But when you got a top two QB and you got the best offensive line in the league, and you have one of the best offensive minds at head coach. I think there's a lot of things that they can do to make up for some of that regression or perceived regression. And we got to keep in mind the reason why that expected that EPA expected points added went down is that they're adding a lot of rookies to the fold here on offense like Sky Moore that have no foothold in the field to establish that metric, yeah. right? They're, they're yeah. zeros as a byproduct of having no time in the league, right? Yeah. Um, but everybody thinks Sky Moore is going to eat in that offense, um, and I tend to agree. Um, who's the dude they got from Green Bay, too? Marquez Valdez-Scanling? Valdez-Scanling, Am I saying that? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, he's, like, he's like a bodybuilder, isn't he, at wide receiver? Yeah, like, yeah, like his catch cool. his catch radius is like half the circumference of the stadium, I want to yeah, say. Yeah. Like, yeah. At, the point, at the point of catch, that dude is violent, and he wins. So you give that on any goal-to-go situation to Patrick Mahomes with Creed Humphrey anchoring the middle of what is a a just despicably good offensive line, I, I think the Chiefs are going to be good. And I actually think the Chiefs this year have a defense that could actually win them some games as opposed to an offense that's got to make up for the defense costing them, right? Yep. They have, the, dude, that, off, that defense, fast. I'm just going to say it. They're fast. They can run with anybody. They are physical in the way that they play. That defense has always been problematic from a, a stickiness standpoint with opposing wideouts. It, I'm just saying KC to me still feels like a real contender. Um, I wouldn't let a lot of these high-profile losses fool, fool a lot of folks. I would still put money on KC to win that division. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, as I said, it's you know I know well enough to not – discount them from winning the division i just think it's going to be harder i think the road's oh, going to be yeah. harder for them yeah. oh i i, I, think, I think they do. still take the west i think they're still in the playoffs i think the bills still have to contend with them of course um i just don't think that's going to be you remember was it two years ago the chiefs didn't even try for mm-hmm. like most of the season they were winning like three three and four point contests um until the last two games of the season because they like they were basically just playing to get to the super bowl again and they did basically right? like, 
So. Yeah, no, that's going to be interesting. I man, I can't wait to unpack that division. I yeah, I think like I think it's going to be good, and I think it's going to be entertaining. I I also think the Raiders could end up being pretty bad, right? Like yeah. Yeah. I, I think the Raiders could end up being bad, and that could change a lot of the dynamics there. So awesome, man! <laughs> it oh. looked good against the Jaguars on Thursday. Yeah, they though. sure did the Hall of Fame <laughs> game, right? Because yeah. yeah, that's uh, hey, we're just that's desperate for football, football data points so, at this point. <laughs> I was like, I was watching, just I was watching it, and it's like none of these players are even going to be in the league in a year, and I'm just like, oh, this is great. I love. This. I, know, I I I had to I had to um I had to like work during that mm-hmm. game so my wife had it on in the bedroom and she's like i i took some notes for you <laughs> i'm like thank you but sweetie why would you why would you waste why. your life doing that that's fine <laughs> thank you like thank you for supporting my pod <laughs> yes i love that though that's really nice yeah it, re- it was really sweet it's literally the nicest thing she's ever done for me in like 16 years of being together is watch oh, the yeah. hall of fame game so yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah man wife, oh. you're listening he doesn't mean it <laughs> She's not going to listen. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. She's true. not going to listen. It's fine. But yeah, oh man, as always, great to pod with you. It feels good to get ready for another season of Buffalo yep. Bills football. And for all those of you listening out there, more to come. Our recording schedule is weekly on Buffalo Bread, so you get new content from us once a week in the off season. We try our best in season to do pre and post game, so two pods a week. But we are also bur- both working family men, so that schedule yes. could fluctuate. So, but yeah, sure. so so this pod will post. You'll get another one uh, week to week from us in the off season, and then once we hit week one, expect to hear from JJ and Dan at least twice a week to talk Buffalo Bills and NFL content. Yeah, and find us on any of our socials. Uh, Buffalo Bread Pod is is the Twitter handle, uh, and you can search for us on Google, Spotify, any other kind of place you might find your podcast. Excellent. JJ, good to pod with you, and as always, sir, go Bills. Go Bills.